You're listening to the Cornerstone Family Worship Center podcast. Making disciples, building community, and growing together in faith and love. chapter 24 this morning and this is a chapter that uh, where Jesus spelled out and where he actually talked about a lot of things that would be happening towards the end of time before his second coming and uh, we're not gonna we're not gonna get into this very deep today but I do want to hit on one thing that he said here and he talked about enduring unto the end and that's where we're gonna really head for all, through all of this uh, message this morning. But I want to kind of go through it verse by verse. And so the title of the message this morning is What Jesus Meant by Enduring Unto the End. What did Jesus mean by enduring to the end? So we're going to Matthew chapter 24. And we're going to read uh, verses 1 through 14 as we go along today. Amen. I'm I'm glad that I'm a part and that you're a part of God's eternal plan and purpose uh, in in the universe and in in all things. Everything that he has created, he's done it for with a purpose. He's created you and me with a purpose. And his plan of salvation didn't stop at Calvary. Uh, It began even way before Calvary and it continues on until this day and the culmination of everything that he has planned and designed. It will come to pass. It will surely come to pass. And we ought not lose heart and we ought not faint, church, because of the things that we're seeing around us in this day and age that we're living in right now because Jesus specifically told us to watch for these things and we will see them happen before his second coming. So let's just pray right now over this word. Lord, we ask you to just help us today. Embed your word into our heart in such a way that we will not soon forget it. We won't just walk out of here and have it to uh, go into one ear and out the other, but Lord, that we'll chew it and we'll digest it, Lord, spiritually. And Lord, that it will make us stronger and that it will not discourage us about the things that we're seeing in the world today, but that it will encourage our hearts that you've got a plan and a purpose and you are going to bring it to pass. And we just thank you for that today. And we just ask you to open our hearts up right now to your word in this way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Matthew chapter 24, starting in the first verse. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And he was talking about the destruction of that second temple, Solomon's temple, that was built and was in existence at that time. 
they're looking at the beautiful temple and they're making comments about it. But Jesus says, you see that temple? There's going to come a day soon when there will not be one stone left upon another. It will be destroyed. They probably couldn't even imagine such a thing happening as he was speaking those words. But when Jesus speaks and when Jesus says thus and so is going to happen, you can, you can count on it and you can take it to the bank. It's going to happen. And so he said, uh, there's not going to, uh, all of these stones will be thrown down. Uh, verse 3 says, and, as, and it says, and as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately saying, tell us when shall these things be? And what shall the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. So there's actually a couple of things that were asked here. They probably didn't even realize that they were asking it uh, in a couple of different phrases. But what, what, tell us what shall be the signs of these things. Tell us when these things shall be. And the first thing that he was mentioning was that that uh, temple was going to be destroyed. Tell us when this will be. Okay, and then another thing that they asked in, in the, that statement was the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world. And so Jesus uh, addressed all of these things by saying there shall not be one stone left upon another. It's going to be happening. And then the signs of his second coming and of the end of the world. So he says, many shall come in my name saying I am Christ and shall deceive many. And from that day to this present hour, there has always been self-proclaimed messiahs who have deceived multitudes of people. Even in Jesus' day, right after the crucifixion and the resurrection of our Lord, there were people who were doing exactly that. And in this day that we're living right now, Church, you got to believe and you got to know there are people out there today who are trying to cause men to look to them as Messiah, as, as the one who has all of the answers. Amen. He may be a president. He may be a, he may be a, uh, uh, a king. He may be some kind of other leader somewhere. But uh, there are plenty of people who are not even in those kinds of positions who are leading multitudes of people astray as they look to them to have the answers to these very things that the disciples were asking Jesus about. So Jesus was telling his followers that they must endure through such deception. The first thing is, is that take heed that no man deceive you. And so we need to endure deceptions. We need to be able to plow through deceptions. We need to be able to see through deceptions. And when someone rises up that says that they are the one, we need to know and have enough sense that they are not the one. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. He's the one and the only Savior. And he's the one and the only Messiah. <clears throat> so he says, be careful of this and endure uh, through these kinds of deceptions. Verse 6, he says, and you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, See that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. All these things are the beginnings of sorrows. And so he's actually saying that these are like the, the birth pangs of a woman. 
So uh, Jesus was not ignorant of the fact that all of these things have existence has, have existed since the beginning of time. You know, Jesus said uh, there will be wars and rumors of wars. There, there were always wars and, and war, rumors of wars prior to Christ's coming. There were always pestilences in the earth. There were always the uh, earthquakes in the earth. All of these things happened until the time of Christ. So when he makes that statement, he's not trying to trick the people into thinking that he knows something that they don't know. He's letting them know all of these things have happened, but in the end of time. So what is he saying? Uh, it's obvious that he's warning us of a greater frequency and intensity of these things. And again, just like I said, with birth pains, this is how he refers to it. As a woman gets closer and closer to giving birth to that child, she begins to have birth pains. Now, I don't know anything about this other than just watching it happen. But I do know what the doctor told Mary and I. When they start getting this close, and when they start getting this intense, you call me. Right, Mary? And she woke me up in the middle of the night. Hey, my pains, my pains. And we start timing them. They're getting closer. They're getting closer. And then one, one thing they also said is that a lot of times when you go into that, you feel like you're actually going into labor, but you're not. It's kind of a false thing. Again, I don't know anything about this. I didn't experience it myself in my body. But then they told us, we took this class for six or eight weeks to tell us how to go through all of this stuff. When you feel like you really got to go to the hospital, you probably don't have to. Put it off. Drink a glass of wine. We didn't do that. Drink a glass of wine. Relax. Try to slow down. Take a warm bath. But don't just run out the door the first sign of signs, the first sign of pains. Some of you have, may remember the story that I said about that. When she woke me up and said, we got to go, I said, no, you got to relax. She said, no, we got to go. It's, not, it's time to go. And I said, no, no. I said, we, I, I said, I'll go run your water. I said, to take, you, know, you need to take a warm bath and get it out of your mind. Try to get it. Boy, that's, that's crazy trying to tell a woman to get pain out of her mind that she's going through. And so I'm running the bath water, and she, she says, what are you doing? I said, I'm running your bath water. You need to slow down. You need to take a warm bath. She said, I'm telling you, these things are, it's time to go. She went in the other room. I jumped in the bathtub. She comes in and she goes, what are you doing? I said, if you're not going to take a bath, I'm going to take a bath. <laughs> oh, golly, I know you girls are just hating me right now. You're saying, you, you are a, you're a mean son of a gun. You know, but I was trying to do everything that we did in the class for eight weeks. You know, this is what they're telling us, you know. So I'll make a long story short. She was right. We called the doctor. They said, come on in. But Rachel was pretty persistent in not coming around for how many hours, Mary? 26, 26 hours she was in labor, right? <laughs> but all of you women who have had children, you know what I'm talking about, about labor pains. They become more and more intense as the time gets closer and they become closer and closer together, right? Okay, I've learned that from experience. So Jesus was not just saying that all of a sudden earthquakes are gonna happen in the earth. They've always been. 
So it must be the fact that he's saying that as the time approaches, you are going to see greater intensity of these things. We have more pestilences going on in the earth. We have more diseases right now that we're finding out about each and every day. And people are dying from them. And we don't have cures for them yet and answers for those problems. But Jesus said, watch these things. You're going to keep pressing in and becoming closer and closer together, and they're going to become more and more intent. And since they have been able to uh, measure earthquakes, it's a fact, it's a known fact that earthquakes, just in the last hundred years, there is a, a graph that shows that they are becoming more and more intense, and they are coming closer and closer together. Now, people in our society would call this global warming, but I call it global warnings. That, that Christ himself is letting us know as the time approaches, uh, his coming is near. Verse nine, then shall they deliver you up and uh, up to be afflicted and shall kill you and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Now there's no other ethnic group in all of history that has been more hated persecuted and put to death than the Jewish people. Amen? However, Jesus is not speaking of the Jews here because they are not hated in all of the world for the sake of Jesus' name. Would you agree with that? They're not followers of Jesus. He said, you're going to be hated of all men everywhere for my name's sake. So he's talking about his followers, uh, the followers uh, that come from every ethnic group. All ethnicities of this world come together in Christ. We have Germans, we have Jewish people, we have uh, all Italians, we have black people, white people, yellow people. Every nation of the world comes together under this one lordship of Jesus Christ. So when he is saying, you are going to be hated of all men for my name's sake, he's talking about the Christians. And Christ followers, even though we come from all of these different ethnic uh, groups in the world, we will be hated simply for our belief in him. It sounds kind of weird and kind of strange that that would ever happen, and it certainly probably... Uh, shocked them as they were hearing those words from the Lord. The first, in the first century, uh, Christians began to experience what Jesus was warning here, right then and there, in, in uh, the first century of the church. Uh, the emperor Nero actually wrapped Christians in animal skins and set them before wild beasts to be torn apart. You know, we can't... That, we, we can't even fathom something like that. And then he hung them in his garden and lit them on fire as human torches to illuminate his gardens. This guy was an evil man. And, and such hatred and such uh, violence towards the Christian church. So <clears throat> the church, as we look throughout history, is not uh, you know, without persecution and without hatred of, of the very name of Christ. So it happened early on. Uh, but again, the frequency and the intensity will become worldwide 
This is what Jesus was saying. And we have not yet seen this worldwide hatred of Christians at any time in history. There have been pockets, there have been places, there have been situations where that kind of hatred did arise and did come to the forefront. But we've never seen what he's saying right here, worldwide hatred, hatred of Christian people. So, be prepared for what is to come. And I'm, I'm saying to you today, my brothers and sisters who I love and I stand here and preach to you week after week, it is my hope and it is my desire that through the messages that God lays on my heart to give to you, you are being strengthened as a Christian and that you'll get into the word of God and that you'll know the word of God and what God says about thus and so and that you'll make a firm stand upon that, not just upon what I say, but upon what the word of God says. Because men can fail. Yes. This man could fail. And we need to be prepared and we need to stand firm. So we need to know and understand that there's going to be this hatred that is going to come against Christians worldwide. And we're seeing a lot of this right now. We're seeing anti-Semitism. We're seeing that on the rise again, the hatred of Jewish people who are called God's chosen people. And now we're seeing a hatred of the Christian church even rising up and people who are wanting to silence the church. And this is beginning to happen in Europe and it's here and it's all over the globe. This is happening. And we're gonna see such an intensity of this that you better be sure-footed in your faith. You better know where you're standing. And you better know that you're going to stand until the end. Endure until the end. Verse 10. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. Who is he saying will be offended? His followers. Many of his followers will be offended. And he is warning us that we must endure offenses. We have to endure through offenses. Offenses will come. Amen. They will be offended. Those who follow him will be offended. And then it says that they'll betray one another. So he's warning us that we have to endure offenses. You know, sometimes people say, well, that could never happen because the church, the Christian church is a church built on love and, it, and love one another and this and that. Uh, they, we would never betray one another and turn against each other. Well, I'm sorry, I've been pastoring just for a little bit in my life, about 40 some years. I've seen it happen in the church, in the local church where people who are supposed to be walking in love get so bitter at each other, they, they just can't hardly sit next to each other on a pew. So what would happen if someone actually got offended because of the gospel of Christ and turned their faith away from Jesus and then could they betray their brothers and their sisters in Christ at that point? Yes. 
So we have to endure offenses or endure the temptation to become offended. And could it be true that Christians would betray each other? I would say to this, yes, according to Jesus' words here. That they would hate each other. Yes, it is very possible. Those who become offended and fall away will come against those who are continuing in the faith. And so if Jesus said, right now, at this point in time, many will come in my name, many will deceive, many will turn away many people. If it happened in his day and he said, watch for this to happen at the end of time, watch for the intensity of this to happen in the end of time, then we can expect it. Church, we can expect it. Everybody say, we can expect it. That's what he said was going to happen. We can expect it. Amen. <clears throat> Charles Spurgeon said this, Persecution would reveal the traitors within the church as well as the enemies without. And to that I would say all that glitters is not gold. Everyone who names the name of Christ is not necessarily Christian. Now that shouldn't get all of us in this place today start looking around saying, hmm, I wonder who he's talking about. I wonder if this guy's really a believer. I wonder if that gal over there is really a believer. Uh, that's not for us to just go around thinking in those terms. But trouble can rise even within the church and people can lead other people astray and they could come right out from the church and do that. Verse 11, it says, and many false prophets shall rise and deceive many. A few years ago, we had a supposed evangelical preacher declare that all of a sudden they're really is no hell. There's no hell. Of course, Jesus spoke of a hell. The prophets spoke of a hell. The apostles and the writers of the New Testament spoke of a hell. Damnation. Eternal separation from Almighty God. But this guy comes out and he has a new revelation. Now he's a preacher. He's a guy like me. And all of a sudden, he comes out to his congregation and he says, you know what? I've been thinking about this lately and I really don't think that there really is a literal hell. Church, I would hope and pray that if I ever said something so ignorant and so stupid and so damnable that you'd put your boots on real quickly and head for the door. Amen. That you would say, that dude's off his rocker because it's pretty plain in scripture. But he wrote a book about it and he's got multitudes of people that are still following him. In this past week or so, two prominent Christians have made some disparaging remarks about their Christian faith. And they're now leaving behind the true doctrines of Christianity that they have preached for years. One worship leader and one author of a book. In other words, they are abandoning their faith. We'd stop and think, how in the world can anybody do that? And there are some people who believe that you can't possibly do, do that. It's a doctrinal belief in the Christian church uh, that some embrace. That once you are saved, you cannot possibly ever be lost. But there are too many scriptures 
that admonish us, warn us, and tell us that we must hold fast to the faith and not lose heart, not lose hope, and not lose our confidence in the faith of Christ. If it were not possible that that could be done, why would we have those admonitions in the scripture? And so now these have come out and they're abandoning their faith. Of course, some of them are pushing back and saying, well, that's not what I meant and you're distorting it and this and that. It's pretty simple to detect when a person is strongly preaching the word of God and believing the doctrines of Christ and then all of a sudden saying, hmm, I have a different slant. I have a different view of it. I'm changing my direction. I'm changing my mind. The guy that wrote the book spoke about homosexuality being a sin and being wrong. But now he's embracing the LGBT uh, group and he's repenting to them and apologizing to them for what he had said in the past. Of course, he's now divorcing his wife and uh, you know, this, it makes it easier. If I, if, I wanna, if I live in sin, it makes it easier for me to look at the word of God in a different way. It, it does. I had, a, I had a friend that got saved about the same time I did and we were preaching the gospel together. In my opinion, I thought he was a better preacher than me. He got married, had a baby with his wife and then another one on the way when he began to counsel a young lady in the church. And a couple of us warned him and said, hey, that's not looking good at all and you should not be with her alone and you should let some of the women counsel her and this and that. We gave him every kind of insight that we could possibly give him, things that he preached himself up until that point in time. But you know what he finally said when he decided to leave his wife and go with this woman? I see scriptures differently now. Yeah. No kidding. I guess you would. His heart was deceived. And it quickly became hardened to that. We could not convince him and tell him to get away from that situation. And I've, I believe that this is what these two people have done lately. And the sad thing is the fact that so many young people looked up to these people. This one guy who wrote the book was a pastor the other guy was a worship leader. Young people look up to them. We should not hang our hats on our worship leaders. We should not hang our salvation on our preachers. Our, our salvation is based upon Christ and him alone and his word, amen. Another quote from Spurgeon, he says, alas, that such teachers should have any disciples. It is, it is doubly sad that they should be able to lead astray many. He's saying it's a wonder that they would have any disciples following them. And he says it's doubly sad that they should be able to lead astray many. Yet, when it so happens, let us remember that the king said that it would be so. Our king, Jesus, said it would be so in the end of time. Watch for it to happen. That's what he said. And that's what we need to do. Someone might ask, how can this happen? How can people turn away 
in what they once believed in, what they once, what they once preached. How can this possibly happen? Well, I believe the next verse explains how this can happen. Verse 12 says, Because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Think about that. Let it set in for a minute. Because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Because sin is so rampant in our society, there is no shortage of temptations, folks. <laughs> and there's no, there's no shortage of sinful, worldly practices in our day. Iniquity is abounding. Amen? It is making great inroads in our society and in our culture here in the United States of America, which has been founded and has been proven throughout history to be a Judeo-Christian nation. No matter what the new history writers are saying, you can go back and the quotes of our founding fathers and the pilgrims who came here before they ever got off of that, that boat, they made a compact with God that they would spread the gospel throughout the land. And so the framers of our Constitution were all believers in Christ. And so now it's not only becoming rampant and making great inroads in our culture and in our country here and in our society here, but even throughout the world. We're seeing it throughout the world. This is a world movement, church. And there's a great orchestrator behind the whole thing, the devil himself. He's singing the tunes. He's, he's playing the pipe. And they're all following behind him. Amen. And as sin abounds, Jesus said, the love of many is waxing, is going to wax cold. So that's going to happen in two ways. Number one, allowing sin to have its way in one's life will cause them to grow cold in their love to God. Sin will move you away from God. Sin separates men from God. It's sin that separates. So the love, uh, the uh, sin abounding uh, causes the love of many to wax cold toward God. And then in the second way, when this happens, it causes people to grow cold in their love for their fellow human being. Amen. And that's why abortion is such a casual thing in our day. A lot of people don't even think of it from day to day anymore. It's just become a casual thought, a passing thought. 60 million babies have been killed in this country since 1973. And there should be such an outcry across this land that the ears of every person in Congress, every legislator, and every judge should be ringing with the shouts of people who oppose such a crime against these innocent children. But yet, we don't hear it. We hear it from some. And, and it seems like there are more people now who are becoming a little bit more outspoken about that. So hope, maybe there's a hope that that would change. I don't know. But sin causes people to move away from God 
And when men move away from God, they can do terrible, terrible things to other men. That's it. That's what Nazi Germany was all about. That's what Nero was all about. That's what all of these uh, dictators and, and uh, uh, communist leaders uh, across the world have done to people, innocent people, taking the lives of them by the hundreds of thousands and by the millions. Amen. How can that happen? Sin. Sin gets in and it corrupts the heart in such a way that it is able to do the most dastardly deeds to another human being. That's what happens. The homosexual agenda is spreading across our land right now. I mention this often as I'm preaching because I, and I, I, I don't know that I've done a whole sermon on, on the whole topic. Maybe I need to do that somewhere along the line, but I do mention it frequently because you are so frequently hearing about it on your television, your radio, billboards, and people at work. Come on, church. Cut a preacher some slack, will you? I don't want to hear about that all the time. I'm, I, none of you have complained about this. I'm, I'm not saying that, but some congregations do. And they tell their preachers they don't want to hear about that stuff. I got news for you. They're hearing about it outside of the walls of the church building. Why shouldn't they hear about it the right way inside the church building? Why shouldn't we be encouraged to say, no, we're going to take a firm stand on this. We don't believe in, in what's going on with, with this agenda in our world. Pushing that agenda. Listen, if somebody wants to go and live that lifestyle, that's their business. And God gave to them the freedom to choose that business if that's what they want to do. But he also told them to straighten the narrow. He also told them what is right and what is wrong. And he also chose, told them to choose life. Yes. Choose the right way. So when they make a choice for that, that's their own business. I'm not going to get in their face and say, you can't do that. Yeah, you can do that because God gave you the freedom to do that. But I can stand before them and in love and compassion for their eternal soul say to them, you know what? We're all going to stand before God one day and you don't want to be standing in that situation. And help them come out of it. Help them find Christ. So I don't have a problem with two people if that's what they want to do. But now when they tell me and you and all of our society that they want to come together and be married. The word married is a biblical word. <laughs> it's a covenant between a man and a woman. They can call it whatever else they want to call it, but it is not a marriage. Period. But they're pushing this agenda like I said, if they want to do that, that's their business. But it's the agenda, folks. They're pushing it on to three and four-year-old children, teaching them that this is normal behavior. It is not. It's not normal behavior. Probably everyone in this room right now has someone in your family, a neighborhood, a friend, someone at work, someone that you know that's homosexual. And I would trust if you are a Christian, you do not despise them, you do not hate them, you are not mean towards them. You accept them as a human being just like you would accept the drunkard at work as a human being or the fornicator at work as a human being. We don't condone what they do, but we love them. I can't condone, if I look back at my life before Christ, 
There's a whole lot of things in my life that I would never condone another individual to do. Oh, so now you're on your high horse and you're going to tell everybody else that it's wrong because you've changed your mind. No, I'm going to tell everybody else that it's wrong because it's wrong. I happen to change my mind. The Lord did get a hold of my heart and change the way I thought. And that's a good thing. And it would be a good thing for you to do the same. Amen? But they're, they're teaching little children that this is normal behavior and it is not. Uh, where is the love and the compassion for these little children? They are going to mess up such lives if, if Christ does not come for 20 years. I'm afraid of what we're going to see in this society if we just let it run, run loose. Amen. So how, how can Christians, how can somebody deny their faith? How can somebody who's preached the word of God uh, so faithfully and, and has inspired so many other people to follow Christ? And how can they just turn away one day and, and go in, in, the, in another direction and say that Christianity is not, uh, is not real or my faith was all a big uh, facade or whatever, you know? Uh, how, how can that happen? Sin, iniquity, iniquity. When it gets into our heart, and we let it have its way, we'll do all kinds of crazy things against the word of God. Verse 13, he says, but he that shall endure, and this is the thing that I want us to understand today, and I hope and I pray that it comes through every message that I ever preach, that we need to be enduring as Christians. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. There are some people who would contest and who would argue, uh, you know, on either side of this, whether the gospel has been preached to all of the world or not. But I happen to believe that from the time of Christ to this very day, that the globe has been covered with the gospel of Christ. There may be pockets of uh, people here or there who are, you know, who have not heard the gospel in this generation, in this age, <clears throat> but the gospel of Christ has covered the earth from the time of Christ till now. There's not a nation, there's not a continent that's not heard the gospel of Christ. Amen. So I, I believe that that means that any time, if there are other prophecies that must be fulfilled, obviously they need to be fulfilled. But this is not one that someone would uh, hang their hat on and say, well, Christ isn't coming for a long time yet because there are still people that need to hear the gospel. There are people that need to hear the gospel in the shopping mall when you go in there this week. But that doesn't mean that the gospel has not covered the earth. There are people at work that need to hear the gospel, but that doesn't mean that Christ has not covered the earth with his word. So what does Jesus mean when he says that we are to endure to the end? Endure to the end. It means that we are to be persistent in our faith and we are to be consistent in our faith, not wavering, not vacillating, vacillating not going back and forth to preserve and to hold fast the gospel and to persevere under difficult times, to stand fast, fast in faith. Stand fast in the faith. 
I want to give you a couple of scriptures before we close today. Jude, verses 3 and 4. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful or necessary for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So Jude, way back then in first century Christianity, had written a letter to the saints saying to them that we need to stand fast and we need to earnestly contend for the faith. What does that mean? It means when someone starts coming and saying that the Bible is not true, we need to earnestly contend and stand with that person and say, no, it is true. Well, how, why should we believe in a book that was written by men? Why should you believe your newspaper that's written by men? Why should you believe anything that's written? It's all written by men. This just happens to be the word of the Lord written by men. He just used men as an instrument to get his message through to humanity. And it can be verified and it can be validated. When people come up to you and say, how can you trust in the scriptures? I mean, they've been through so many years, they've been corrupted as it's been copied and this and that. You know, they try to make all of those arguments as to why you should not believe in the word of God. But I want to tell you something, why you should believe in the word of God is that anything that has been uh, authenticated by, uh, about poets or philosophers uh, Socrates, all of those guys that were way before Jesus, all of those people, their writings, the, all they have is copies of their writings. And some of those copies, the earliest ones they have of those types of people, there's a whole list of them, is like 600 year gap between the original and the first copies that they have. That's Pretty awesome. And they talk about the gap that we have in the Bible, the earliest copies that we have, they're within 50 to 100 years of Christ. Some of those have three or four or maybe seven copies that are in the world today of those types of people. And the whole world accepts them. They're accepted as authentic, they're real. You know, you know how many you have, Christian, that back up this Bible? 24,000 copies of the New Testament that are authentic, that go back in time that far back. And so I'm just saying to you, you know, I'm going to be preaching on this. I'm going to be doing a series coming up shortly and we'll be talking about the word of God and the power of the word of God and why it is so powerful and why it is so unique and why we should believe it as Christians and stand so firmly on it and contend for this faith. You have the goods, church. Yeah. 
Not the atheist that gets in your face and tries to give you this reason or that reason why not to believe in God. Or this scientist, or this scientist that says this and so, oh, the word of God can't be proven. I'll tell you what, there's no other book on the planet of the earth that has ever withstood the test that this book has withstood. And still it stands. And still it's changing lives today. And so we need to contend for that faith and say, you know, I'm, I'm not giving in to this. <laughs> I, oh man, I'll tell you what, I was, I was listening to a couple of our, our guys in the church years ago telling me how this new thing that, you know, I was watching the History Channel. I said, well, that's a good indicator that what, what's about to come out of your mouth is all wet. You know, and they found the Book of Mary or the this or that. And then and Dan, what's his name, that came out with the movie, uh, Dan Brown, was it? Uh, the Da Vinci Code and all of that stuff. And Jesus and uh, uh, Mary Magdalene had a thing going and Jesus had a baby by her. And I mean, all, I'm just, uh, there's none of that stuff that can be proven. There's not any historical fact or data to back that kind of stuff up. But it's an amazing thing. I, I've seen people that would just, who oh, did you hear? Man, I've been trying to preach to you the word of God for 20 years and you're not, you don't want anything to do with it. And I'm trying to tell you how authentic it is, how real it is, how powerful it is. And it's going in one ear and out the other ear. Some other guy comes up and writes a movie and says, you know, Jesus and Mary Magdalene, they had a thing going. And then, they, oh, really? I never knew that. And they get all wound up in that. Really? Come on. No, church, I'm telling you today, you've got the goods. You've got the proof. You've got the thing in your hand right now that'll put all of that other confusion to rest and to silence. But you gotta believe it. You gotta believe it. You gotta stand fast upon it. So that's what Jude was writing to them. He says, it's necessary that I tell you this. We must earnestly contend for that faith. Christians may come and Christians may go. Preachers may come and preachers may go. Worship leaders may come and worship leaders may go. But God's word does not change. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know what that means? That what Jesus called sin back then is still sin today. The way Jesus viewed this activity uh, back then, it's the same way that he views it today. Oh, well, people are becoming more tolerant of each other, and therefore we need to rethink the way we do Christianity. Get lost, bud. Amen. Yeah, get lost. Thank you, that's tag team preaching, lady. She said he is lost. <laughs> Amen. To be fair, to be fair, church, I will say that through the years, the Christian church and, and many preachers have no doubt said things about homosexual people that they should not have said out of their mouth, degrading them as human beings. It's the sin. It's the sin that's the problem. And it's that person needs salvation just like you needed salvation. And Jesus died for him just as much as he died for you. Yes. So yes, the church needs to rethink possibly how we speak about these things and to realize these are human beings that need Christ and we need to reach out to them and bring them unto Jesus. 
That's true. But if we come away saying, well, we've learned now that, well, maybe everybody, well, we don't all think the same way. We don't, and so I have to embrace your lifestyle, bring you into the church, sit you on the pew, make you a worship leader, make you a preacher, ordain you as a minister. This is happening here. This is happening here in our country. And we need to contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. Men cannot change the word of God just because they now have a different opinion of it. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12 says, if we suffer or if we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him or disown him, he also will deny and disown us. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful. He cannot deny himself. Oh, hallelujah. Church, when Paul wrote those words to that young preacher Timothy and that young pastor Timothy and to admonish him with these words, he, he's saying, uh, if, you, if you deny Christ, now that sounds to me like that's a possibility in a person's life. If you do deny Christ, he is for certain gonna deny you before the Father. And we need to know that. And we need to believe that. And we need to stay on the straight and narrow so that we never become a denier of the faith. That we never abandon our faith. If we deny him, he will deny us. And then I like the last part of verse 13. If we believe not, yet he abides faithful. (laughs) Your disbelief in Christ is not going to change him at all. Your disbelief in the Bible is not going to change the Bible at all. It's, it's, It's there. And his word will endure forever. Amen. In James chapter 1 verse 12. James says this, blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. I know that when we read that, we think of temptations to sin, temptations to cheat on our wife, temptations to, uh, to do things uh, that would be called sinful. Uh, we need to endure the temptation to turn away from Jesus. The temptation to turn away from the word. The temptation to count the word of God as just, you know, a historical book. And times change and different strokes for different folks, you know. No. Blessed is the man who endures that temptation and who will say in his heart, no, thank you, not me, not here. You're not peddling that garbage in this heart because I'm not buying it. I'm not going for it. Hebrews chapter 10 Verses 38 and 39. It says, Now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, do you hear that? If any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them. We are not of them. Church, we are not of them. 
who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Amen. That's in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 38 and 39. But I'm, I'm going to go up and read just a few verses before that. And listen to this. For if we sin willfully, this is in the 26th verse of that same chapter. For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who has trodden underfoot the Son of God and has counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and has done despite unto the Spirit of grace. Wow. So the Hebrew writer is saying if those came under judgment under Moses, under that old covenant, how much more so will people come under judgment who have known the truth and then walked away from it? How much more will they receive the judgment and the damnation? And it's not because God wants to bring it upon them, it's because they bring it upon themselves by walking away from him. We're living in some strange times, church, and I pray to God that we will all, every one of us, myself included, will be so firmly fixed on God's word and upon Christ and only Christ that we will not be persuaded when we hear this or that going on. This world around us is gonna be shaken up more so than what we're seeing right now. So this is a fasten your seatbelt kind of a message this morning. And I don't say this that we should walk around in fear. We should, we should be walking around victorious. We should be walking around as people who know where we're going. Who know it, who it is that we believed in and have trusted up to this very moment in time. I'm going to close with these words from an old hymn. Some of you, some of you are old enough to have remembered it. And this should be our stance. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand.